Leonard will inbound. Here's Ginobili for three. They left the man wide open. As you see on this play at the top of the key, what you... Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. See, Grant, what up? And we are here for episode 19. 19? Yes, sir. Of Views from the Clutch. We have a wonderful show and schedule for you guys today. Before we begin, as always, we just want to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of the people that contribute, watch, and listen, share. Hit the Facebook page. Check out the Instagram. We got plenty of things in store for y'all. Um, if you have any messages or any communication that you would like to correspond us with, you can always leave a voicemail on any of the um, podcast apps that we can be found on. Or you can also just simply email us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. And on that note, let's get it started. What, what's, what's, what's on today's agenda? Uh, let's just talk about what's hot off the press. Team USA losing in the non-exhibition game. They snapped their 58-game 50, winning streak. Um, they came to uh, at the loss of uh, France. France. Uh, they lost 89-79. And Rudy Gobert, your man who you was kind of – he was kind of throwing a little shade on a couple episodes ago, you know, talking about he just, you know – he was just the um, he was just the the bearer of uh, helmets. Uh, he came up huge, tremendous. He was um, he had 20, 21 points, sixteen rebounds, blocked three shots. Actually, in the um, final minute, he blocked Kimba Kimba a uh, reverse layup for Kimba and also uh, a potential layup for Donovan Mitchell. Who Donovan Mitchell? Speaking of Donovan Mitchell, he's the only one that seemed like he showed up. Uh, he scored twenty nine points. But the problem is he scored 29 points, but he scored zero points in the fourth quarter. So uh, that was the only problem with that. There was a lot of problems. Um, Kimber Walker had more turnovers than assists, uh, which is unlikely for him. But they, well, they how many points me. did he have? He, he didn't even have, like, he was like three for 10 or something crazy. Nah, he right? was, yeah, two for nine. Two for um, nine. Didn't have no assists, four turnovers. Um, and, and this France team was. Going in, they weren't looked at as a team that would be that would give the U.S. too much problems. But, yeah, I mean they got your boy on their team. But the, oh yeah, the Nick Frank Frank <clears throat> Delakina. He, he but he he came up big too. He got some. Yeah. He, he he uh he was putting. I think what it was was France really wanted to show people that they they were worth it. They were worth um worth their while because it was it was one of those things where they had Evan Fournier who plays for the Orlando Magic. They got uh Frank Nick, Nick Frank Frank uh from the Knicks and they got uh Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz. Now Gobert's the only one that's a all star, but the other two, Evan and uh, Frank, they're they're both you know serviceable players. And but Nick Batum is on that team also. Yeah, and oh yes, Nick Batum was also another one on that team as well. Uh, but these are guys are serviceable players, but they seem like they've been they're better international players than NBA players now, uh, because they seem like. But I think this game also showed that, like we talked about before, with this team USA roster, nobody's afraid of them. Yeah, there's no names that people are looking at like okay. You know what? We gotta be. We got. We gotta have a tough matchup. I think even with these NBA players, that that France, the France people that played in the league, they're looking at these dudes like, "Yo, man, I'm just as good as you." You know, and I think it showed today. It showed with, but it also showed that chemistry is 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 big because these guys play these these mm -hmm. other countries play together for years, and they've been playing together for for many years with it. The US, it shows that the U.S. is no longer dominant enough where they could just throw any scraps in and win. You know, you can't just show up saying, oh, we got the U.S. across our chest, we're going to win. Especially when you're not playing with the top-tier uh, players. You're playing with the 
third and fourth tier players who realistically some of these guys are if they didn't leave college early would still be college athletes you know so we're playing against guys that played in these professional teams for these other countries for, for many years so like i said it it it, it um we we knew this team was suspect. The team yesterday was suspect, and the reality—the fact that you ended up losing by ten points—shows that um, because they got outscored in the fourth quarter, they got outscored twenty-six to thirteen in the fourth quarter. So they so, essentially lost the game. So they were up three. They were up three. They were, they were losing at halftime by six points. Right, but if you outscored twenty-six to thirteen in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter and you yeah, lose you by lost, ten. You lost. That means you were yeah. outscored by thirteen. So they were leading by three. So um, Mm -hmm. touch on it briefly. First and foremost, I find it ironic that uh, of all the players you named, Evan Fournier actually did one of our intros. So shout out to Evan Fournier. He hit a game-winning shot. And if y'all haven't noticed, the the views from the clutch trademark is to start the the episode off with either a game-winning shot or a clutch moment from, from a random NBA game. We're probably going to make it into a trivia thing at some point, but as we continue to build up viewers. But, yeah, Evan Fournier, I used one of his game-winning shots from him being on the Magic yes, sir. For, uh, for one of our intros. And here he is starring for the French national team. I heard he had a decent game, too. Yeah, I didn't see had, the game. Uh, he, had 20, he had 22 points and what did you call it? Yeah, he had 22 and four, four assists, three rebounds. So, you know. No, but this I mean, game actually was on ESPN two, which so. is what which is what I was predicting when we spoke about it earlier. That as mm-hmm. the money line moved and it became more probable that people were going to be betting against the U.S., they were going to move it to a network where it could be seen. Absolutely, because that's just how you know gambling works in in our country. But um, to to not be too long winded about the whole situation, you called it. And, you know, I stand corrected. I held out hope that even with this hodgepodge roster, the United States would be able to figure it out. And just off the strength of effort, maybe out-effort teams into a world championship victory, but clearly the effort and whatever cohesion they needed wasn't there. Um, To go into some things that I heard about prior to the game, Miles Turner was making some rumblings about Rudy Gobert. So you talk about the shade I threw Rudy Gobert. Miles Punk, Miles Turner, who has to face him in the, in the next upcoming game, hints at the fact that Rudy Gobert might be the defensive player of the year. Well, I guess that got proven correct. He's yeah. the two-time defensive player of the year, and he shut y'all down. Yeah, because there was a time actually. The thing about this, see, that's another thing with two with this team USA guys like Miles. Okay, Miles Turner. He only had he only played ten minutes, but in crunch time, or a majority portion of his time. The team USA was playing with the small ball lineup. You had Harrison Barnes at times playing the five. Yeah, it's like there's no way he could Harrison Barnes could stick Rudy Gobert. So, and the whole idea of putting him out there is not even for what he gives you on defense. It's let me create a mismatch on offense so that we can pull Gobert away from the rim. Yeah, but it's not going to work with somebody like Harrison Barnes played thirty. It says thirty-one minutes. He shot one for three. He had four assists. Uh, and that's it. Yeah, four points and four assists. Well, here's, so, the, here's the beauty of the international game. You, you can go out there and plot to create a mismatch by sticking a guy out there who clearly doesn't match up well with the other player on the team. And what does the other team do to counter it? They'll play zone. Or they'll mm-hmm. play some sort of a in-between defense where the man properties aren't as – necessary as they would be in typical American, you know, United States NBA-driven basketball where if you're not guarding your man and making an effort to see man and ball, then you're, you're, you're probably just a defensive liability. Well, in the international game, you can zone up and you can create these walls where a guy who may be compelled to have to stick a perimeter player, he doesn't really have to venture too far out from where he's, he's comfortable, and that's the paint. Mm-hmm. If you can't find a way to pull Rudy Gobert out of the paint, and the best way for them to have done that would have, in my opinion, I didn't see the game, so I don't know. Did Robin Lopez get minutes? No, no. It's Brooke Lopez. Brooke he Lopez. Only, he, he only played about four or five minutes. Okay, and, so. and now I don't want to be the guy who questions Greg Popovich, you know, five-time world championship coach, coach of the year multiple times, highly regarded as one of the best basketball minds on the planet. But in Brooke Lopez, you have arguably – 
the preeminent stretch five in the NBA, meaning that if you put that guy out there in a three-point line, everybody knows, including the opposing team and the fans, that you better stick him because if he gets the ball when he's in a Milwaukee bus uniform and he's beyond the three-point line, it's going up and there's a high probability of it going in. He shot poorly. He shot poorly from international distance, which is ironically shorter. Mm -hmm. And I always find that compelling because that happens from time to time. Guys who are trademark NBA shooters get into the international game and with the shorter line, for some reason they struggle. As if as if, you know, they they have to compel their feet to be right on the toes so that they're taking that shorter shot for what it is. I mean, my dude, if you're used to making a shot at 22-9, then shoot it at 22-9. It don't matter where the line is at. You got to shoot where you're comfortable. When you try to play the lines, that's when you change your form, your release point, how much, you know, all that stuff that goes into shooting accurately changes when you change the distance. So that's mm-hmm. why a guy like Kobe Bryant, who's great at making long twos, can go and be an international three-point threat. Same thing for Carmelo Anthony. He takes those long twos when they're not worth three in the NBA. So when mm-hmm. you put him on the international line and you say, here, here's where you got to shoot, to him, that's the longest two he takes or yep. pull up or whatever. So he can spot up and take that shot and comfortable because he's practiced that shot. A guy like Robin Lopez, there's no practice for taking a shorter three-point no, three shot. Lopez. Brooke, Brooke, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lopez brothers. Either way, um, um, but I, I think that's that's what it is. I mean, I think with, with see also that philosophy of uh, bringing the center out of the paint doesn't really work as much because remember it's a shorter court uh, width wise, so you don't have to that much ground to cover. So for if for a center, he can you know he can play off and still be able to reach his man comfortably because the court is not as wide as uh, the NBA court. So but I still think that if you're running – right, I agree that the spacing changes when you have a smaller width court. But also the, the standard behavior of a pick-and-pop action means that once that big sets the pick and starts to drift outward, that ideally if that big man is all about protecting the paint, he's going to sag and follow the ball handler. But mm-hmm. if he's an actual shooting threat, what that should do is give a guy like Brooke Lopez an uncontested three. But if he's not out there on the floor to even give you that pick-and-pop action or it's not even being deployed because he's been shooting poorly, then you're re- eliminating a threat and the actual purpose of him being there. I mean, let's be real. Brooke Lopez did the first half of his career as an interior big man, and he was very, very, very good at that. Inside mm-hmm. the paint, there was never a question of whether or not Brooke Lopez could play down low. It was a question of was he ever going to grab enough rebounds to justify being seven feet tall because we have a, a guy who was seven foot plus averaging five-plus rebounds a game with 18 points. So it never made sense, his statistical line, based off of his height. If you're not using him for what he's good at and what he's developed into now, and you're not deploying him at all, then I think you're taking a strategy off the board. So him only playing about four or five minutes leads me to believe that, you know, Popovich had lost all confidence in the bigs that he brought over. And that's a problem. When, when you go international, your bigs have to have some value. Because these other international bigs, they're not coming off the floor. You know, when Spain rolls out their team with their big guys, those big guys don't leave the floor no matter who you trot out there to, to play against them. You're going to have to deal with what they bring to the table. And I think our effort to overly adjust to our competition probably hurt us because we, again, like you said, it's a short, short opportunity to put a roster together. That roster doesn't have a lot of experience playing together, really knowing each other's tendencies. And then they don't have a system that really incorporates all of those guys' talents to have them actually be a credible threat every time they're somewhere on the floor. So it's a lot to navigate. I get it. And when you're dealing with talent of the level of what we sent over there, this is the byproduct. So I think, you know, we got our just due. No, I don't think course. we were cocky and confident when we sent that team over there. I'm pretty sure the powers that be that put together that roster didn't necessarily want that assembly of talent that they wound up getting. But, you know, I mean, let's go through the list of people who didn't play. Devin Booker didn't play, but I watched him work out a lot of summer. Mm-hmm. You know, Julius Randle didn't play. Yeah. I don't even know if he got invited. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's, there's guys out there. That also, like, I don't want to just put it on that whole, like, oh, second, third, fourth tier teams. A lot of it has to go with who Team USA invited, you know? You no, invite guys yeah. that aren't likely to show up or, or likely to back out, this is what you get. Of course. 
And when you invite guys that you think are just going to, you know, fill in a spot because they're so gassed to play for the United States, but they're not actually on the talent level that you need to win, you, you, you take Julius Randle and you put him on the court versus a third grader. Julius Randle is going to go out there and give you NBA all-first-team effort. You know what I'm saying? And I don't think we, we, we put together a roster full of guys capable of doing that. And you get burnt. So the United States got burnt for not properly fielding a team, but we did qualify for the Olympics. So the Olympics would be an opportunity to get retribution. I don't know how much retribution you can get because the world championship only comes around the same way the Olympics, like once every two or four years. So we'll send yeah. another team out there and but I hopefully think, it'll be better staff. And I think but the only thing about FIFA, FIFA people don't pay that much attention as they used to to, to it. Whereas the Olympics is the big thing. So the FIFA people might not be worried about it as much. And it might not draw too much attention, but for the Olympics, it comes and lays a goose egg like they did in, in the Olympics. I think that will be really uh, weighed heavily as opposed to FIBA because some people didn't even realize you got FIBA. Some people didn't realize the U.S. was even playing and FIBA games were going on. So, um, like right. with the Olympics, so, tends to be more more media coverage and more storylines built up for the Olympics, and that tends to be the big thing like hey i want to be an olympic gold medal nobody goes around and says oh, i want a fever gold like you know what i mean you don't hear about it so you know it is what it is they it's funny it's funny that you say that because they're both regulated by the same governing body fiba governs the olympics and they govern the fiba world championships so whatever that fiba stands for i know it's international basketball association i just don't know what the maybe it's the federation of international basketball i mean again the prestige of playing for your country is big everywhere in the world, no matter what event it is, except in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember we spoke about basketball. it earlier. Yeah, yeah. I remember we spoke about it earlier, but remember, you know, there used to be all these sub-international competitions that used to happen all the time. I don't know if they're still happening, and maybe I've just gotten old and forgotten or just not noticed them, but there used to be a team we would send out there for the Pan Am games and these mm-hmm. M games and so on and so forth, and those teams would be iterations, but they wouldn't be far, far away from whatever our top level team was internationally that we were sending over to compete. And as we've, you know, devolved and like you said, become only focused on these big name competitions is come back to bite us. You know, there's other countries that didn't, you know, send their best teams out there. I mean, Greece could have had different players, but they just strictly took Giannis and four other guys and you saw where it got them. Um, Spain pretty much filled the best that they could. You know, there's teams out there, like you said, they're sending their best always because that's the only thing they know how to do. United States, on the other hand, now we have to learn that there's priorities. And anytime we go out there bearing those colors, those three letters on that jersey, we're a target, especially in basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's like us sending the high school world champs, the high school track and field world champs to the Olympics and expecting them to come back with gold. Versus the world's best sprinters from all over the world. First off, we don't even produce the best sprinters in the world anymore anyway. That ended like 20 years ago. I think when Ben Johnson and the steroids blew the doors open off Carl Lewis, everything changed on an international perspective as far as speed goes. But the same thing is existing for basketball now. Like, nobody is sending a D-League team out there. You're not wearing our colors if you're not one of the best. And until we're able to get back to that and make the players aware of that, then we're going to continue to have this issue rear its ugly head every, every random three or four year competition that, like you said, doesn't have the same stock or retention grabbing quality that the Olympics does. Yeah, man. So now we can't even play for a medal. What, what are we? Our best opportunity is the fourth place game or something like that. Crazy, right? No, we can't even compete for the fourth place game because the fourth place game is the bronze medal game. So you got the one and two team that'll play for the gold or silver, the three and four team that'll play for the bronze, and I guess the U.S. gets an opportunity to come in fifth or sixth. Yeah, six. pretty much. Today. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Those guys are going to get tortured when they come back home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But Rightfully I, so. If, if, yeah, but then they can also clap back and say, hey, you were supposed to be over here with us. While you... So much better than me. We're at home working on your game. I was out 
sacrificing for the country. So don't tell me what I should or shouldn't have done or, or how, how I could have been better when you wouldn't even man up and, 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 and make yourself available to be a part of what we went through. So I don't know how much water that's going to hold to try and like razz those guys about them not completing the objective, but I definitely understand that there'll probably be a few slick things said to each other before the tip off of some of these games, just based off of what happened. True. Yep. So yes. What next do we? What do we have on the agenda uh, next, brother? Now we're gonna transition to our main, main, um, main talk. What we are uh, we're gonna do the review of the teams because. Okay, so we're beginning our season preview rundown, and we decided to go with basically going in reverse order from records, moving some teams around based on their popularity so that they're not getting stuck early in these recaps and reviews. And the first team that we picked was the Phoenix Suns. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I'm going to follow your lead because you have the bullet points Mm -hmm. right in front of you. I'm about to grab them. Uh, they had the, you know, uh, Monty Williams is the new coach. He is, he's coming his first season as head as head coach for them. And you know, we all know Monty Williams from being a former player to being uh, an assistant coach to being a head coach. And he had unfortunate family tragedy that pulled him pulled him away from the game. But now he's back and um, he's looking to, looking to um, cause some havoc. Um, Monty Williams is one of the all-time NBA warriors. I believe didn't he have a heart issue? Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. He had a heart issue mid-career. He played for I think it was the Knicks. I, I want to say he went to Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, played for, in college. Yeah, yeah, played for Notre Dame. Played for, he got drafted by the Knicks in the first round. And, yeah. Didn't get used much by the Knicks. Then we get then we flip him. He yeah. wasn't on the Knicks long. Nah, was he? two years. He was on the Knicks for two years. And he played on the Spurs. Then he played um, played for the Spurs. Then he played for the Nuggets. Then Orlando, and then Philadelphia to end his career. Um, let me see what else. Um, he was also a frontline candidate for the Lakers' job in this offseason. Mm-hmm. When they wouldn't give him the five-year deal that he was looking for, he went ahead and took that opportunity with Phoenix. And then that's when the Lakers moved on to Tyron Lue. Tyron Lue didn't get the contract he wanted. So then the Lakers summarily moved on to Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd, uh, Lonnie, whatever his name was, who used to coach the uh, Grizzlies, Lonnie Hollins. Yeah, Lonnie That whole staff. Yeah. 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 So that whole staff was assembled in lieu of Monty Williams backing out. Um, Monty Williams is a coach. He's been highly regarded as a player's coach. All the players that have played for him love him. Um, can't say he's really much of a system guy, meaning that, like, you know, when Monty Williams shows up, the team's going to play this way. His teams do play hard for him. They typically do play pretty decent defense. I remember that he had a decent run when he was the coach of, what are they now, the Pelicans? But he did have some time with Anthony Davis during the early parts of Anthony Davis's career before that situation didn't work out and either he got fired or had to go. He had to leave for personal reasons, right? That's why he stepped away from New Orleans? Uh, no, unfortunately, yeah, his wife, his wife passed in a car accident. Right. So so that's what took him out of being the um, New Orleans Hornets coach. And then he wound up taking some time off to deal with that situation and then coming back to the league. And now here he is as the coach of the Phoenix Suns. I think he's a great hire because he's a guy who is working with and with working with younger guys, helping them develop, teaching them the game getting them to be more professional, you know, the whole buy-in and understanding that you're not, you're no bigger than the whole situation. I think he'll implement that culture and guys will want to run through a wall for him. And um, I think he's definitely a positive, a positive in their direction as far as like starting with their coach. Who who was their coach previously? Didn't they have some um, flooring guy last year? Who was their coach last year? Who was the Phoenix Suns coach? Who? Hmm? You said what? Who was the coach last year? You said Igor Kokoskov. Yeah, that's yeah. It led them to a nineteen and sixty-three. Mm-hmm. Not 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 good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, 
But uh, let's be fair to Phoenix. Phoenix had a 19 and 63 roster. No, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't doubt that at all. I don't doubt that at all. I mean, I'm looking at their roster from last year. Yeah, I didn't, I, the fact that they got 19 wins is, is very. Um, yeah, that was surprising. probably every time Devin – if Devin Booker scored 30 19 times, that was probably all 19 of their wins. True, true, true. You know, Devin Booker stepping out and going into full Mamba mode will, 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 will boost your win-loss. Um, some of the high points of that roster and people who played the most games, Mikel Bridges as a, as a um, rookie played 82 games. Mm. Josh Jackson, who's no longer with the team and now is in Memphis, played 79. DeAndre Ayton, their rookie. He played 71 games. Rashawn Holmes, he played 70. Devin Booker only played 64. Jamal Crawford, who's currently still a free agent, only played 64. Troy Daniels, who's now a Laker, he played 51. Mm. Drajan Bender, he played 46 games. TJ Warren, who I think they yeah, traded, traded, he played 43 mm-hmm. games. They they gave Kelly Oubre a big deal. He only was there for 40 games. Yeah, yeah, because but he was he's he's a bench player. But he'll, um, he'll, he'll he'll get a big role because they paid him. Uh, just to give him a two-year, $30 million deal and coming over. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out with him. But he, um, yeah, he'll have, he'll have them. He'll be he'll probably, he'll probably start at the three for them. Just depends on who. Really? Kelly Oubre started? Even that was going to be their sixth, man. Hmm. He's definitely going to be their sixth. I mean, I'm just figuring if you're paying somebody $15 million a year, Depending on who you got playing in front of him, I mean, because you probably obviously have Devin Booker, uh, DeAndre Aiden, uh, any. I mean, after that, it's kind of like slim pickings to, to say who's a guaranteed starter. All right. So before we before we confront the entirety of who their new roster is, let's cycle back to Monty Williams real quick. What style of play do you think of that? I mean, when you play in Phoenix, I don't think there's ever been a Phoenix team that didn't run. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of a given. They're going to run out west. Mm-hmm. They're, in a, they're in an area where altitude kind of helps them to some extent. And the nature of the climate of, that they play in. Teams do come there and sometimes get their doors blown off simply because they're not prepared to. It's almost like going to Denver. Like a lot of teams go to Denver and before the game even starts, you know that they're about to get smoked because that altitude just takes you mm-hmm. out. Um, obviously, Phoenix doesn't have the same level of altitude, but they do have a unique climate arrangement with that area, and it has been known to affect players. So running is definitely something that I do imagine them doing. Um, considering who's on their roster, let's go ahead and now confront that, and then maybe that'll help us get an idea of what type of play style we think can allow them to be successful. So Phoenix has been playing the entirety of Devin Booker's career without an actual real point guard, just to be honest or one that managed to stay long-term? Because there may have been a time where he was there and along with Bledsoe, but that might have been the same year Bledsoe, you know, did that famous tweet, I don't want to be here, and then wound up not playing again for Phoenix. That might have been, like, Devin Booker's first year in the league that happened. But um, at point guard, they now have acquired Ricky Rubio. They gave him a three-year deal. I think something like 50-odd million was offered to him. And I definitely think that for the sake of no longer having the quote-unquote point guard problem, they have resolved that. But now they have a point guard problem. Because you have a point guard, but he's not really much of an offensive threat. He's 29 years old now. So the luster on Ricky Rubio being this 16-year-old prodigy who was throwing all these amazing behind-the-back passes and was a professional at age 11 and a half when he still had baby teeth for Real Madrid – all that luster is gone. Now he is what he is. He's 6'4", almost 200 pounds, plays hard defense, is a very good passer, very good at setting his team up, is capable of moving the ball in transition, advancing the ball in transition, leading the break. He can finish, but he, he, he's not a shooter. Mm-hmm. He's not a shooter in the sense of, oh, the clock is running down, rotate to him type of shooter. He's not a shooter in oh, we got a chance to decide between double-treating DeAndre Ayton or leaving Ricky Rubio open in the corner for a three. Yeah, they're going to double DeAndre. <laughs> like, Ricky Rubio, statistically, as a shooter, is just not equivalent to being a threat. Um, his backup is going to be either Ailey Okobo or Javon Carter, who went to West Virginia and played for Bobby Huggins. You know how Bobby Huggins always seems to graduate guys who 
They're 23 years old in real life, but they look 50 <laughs> as rookies. <laughs> I, I don't know. Everywhere he goes, he finds the guy. Like, give me that old dude, the one who looked 25 in the McDonald's All-American game. Bring him over here. <laughs> he always has at least three or four of those guys on his team. So that's what Javon Carter reminds me of. He, he's the old young guy. Old looking, but young guy. There's another point guard I see listed here named Jawan Evans. Uh, second season at Oklahoma State. I don't think he's going to usurp Javon Carter for that backup point guard role. You got Devin Booker returning. Obviously, he's the Phoenix Suns best player. He's only 22 mm-hmm. years old. And um, he turns 23 literally as the season starts. So he's going into that age 23 season, fourth yeah, this will be his fourth season. So he's essentially now. This will literally be his rookie year because he did a one and done. Yeah, you talking about you talking about Booker, right? Yeah, Booker. Mm-hmm. He did yeah, a one and done. Going into his, um, and then he's already given the league three yeah, he's years. Going, he, so he's technically going into his legit what would be his rookie year yeah, right he's now. He's actually going into his max contract that he signed. This is the first year of when he's going to get that uh, get the Brinks truck to uh, just drop money off at his house. So you fans out there, in case you're curious, this is why players are going to the NBA at 18, 19 years old. It's not that they don't want to get better in a, in, a, in a more casual environment. When you look at the opportunity to, after your third year, enter into your first major contract extension and go from being a millionaire to being a super multimillionaire, that's why these kids are jumping mm-hmm. early. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, Backing up Devin Booker is Tyler Johnson, who came over from the Miami mm-hmm. Heat. Not a fan of his. I, I don't have a problem with him, but I just don't feel like there's any one credible thing that he does that makes him, like, NBA player worthy. I, I just feel like all of his attributes are just, like, standard thoroughfare, you know, cut and paste. He does play hard on defense, but he doesn't play hard enough on defense to start. Mm-hmm. He's a decent spot-up shooter, but he's not a good enough shooter that he can start. So he's a solid role player, depending on what the role is going to be for him. I'm pretty sure with a guy like Monty Williams in place, he'll have a solidified plan for what he expects from Tyler Johnson to do coming off the bench. Um, Jamal Crawford remains unsigned, but in all likelihood, if he does resign, Phoenix will probably be his first option, being that they had him there last year and Incorporating him back into what they're doing won't be a big deal. Kelly Oubre is their small forward or one of their small forwards. Obviously, like you alluded to, he just signed with a two-year, $30 million deal. Mm-hmm. Right on his heels is Mikael Bridges, four-year player from Villanova, who had a decent rookie season. Yeah. He averaged eight points a game, shot 54% from two, shot 33% from three, taking four a game, and gave you 80% free throw shooter. So I think that, that that small forward competition is going to be intense in training camp between those two. Uh, it could be. Uh, <clears throat> they also have George King. Uh, he went to Colorado. Not familiar with him. Dario Saric, who came over in yep. a trade after he had already been mm-hmm. flipped. Frank Kaminsky, who I believe signed as a yeah, free yeah. agent signed, from, the, uh, from Charlotte. Check Diallo, who has somehow managed to stay in the league. I don't know. He played for New Orleans last year. I think it was New Orleans. Um, DeAndre Ayton is returning to me in the middle. They're obviously franchise big man. And they got Aaron Baines from the Celtics to come mm-hmm. over. And he was a very, very useful player for uh, the Celtics as a defensive Go between who would occasionally hit a three every now and then randomly with that long wind up jump shot form of his, but it was wet. So they do have credible players at just about every position. Ricky Rubio has been a starter in this league every year he's played, so you can't take anything away from that, regardless of how I might feel about his shooting. Um, we all know the caliber of Devin yep. Booker. The two small forwards, you know, between Kelly Oubre and Mikel Bridges, I think whichever one you pick to start, you're going to get three and D because Kelly Oubre is a very capable defender. He's athletic. Mm-hmm. And Mikel is just, you know, he's a composed veteran, even though he's young. 
You know, he's got all that experience having played for Jay Wright and Villanova, winning the national championship, being in big games. I, I don't think he's going to come unglued under any type of big stage, but Phoenix don't really have a stage right yeah. now. No, no, no. Um, yeah, at, they don't. At power forward, I think that's going to be a very bloody battle. You got Czech Diallo, who doesn't bring much shooting to the table, but definitely rebounds and plays hard defense and hustles. And he's 6'9". Mm-hmm. You got Frank Kaminsky, who... I don't think he'll ever start unless somebody, unless all the power forwards are hurt on your team. He's a stretch four, but the problem is he hasn't really been stretching because his three-point percentage isn't really close to 40, which if you're going to be a stretch big man, you have to be shooting above 35% from the three-point line to really be considered a stretch four. Otherwise, you're just a tall guy taking threes. Um, and then you got Dario Saric, who actually was once considered a shooter coming into the league and playing for Philadelphia and then in Minnesota, but he hasn't really been doing a lot of perimeter shooting since he's been in the league mm-hmm. he's really you know i guess it's situation based like when you play next to carl anthony towns there's not really many spaces on the court for you to really carve your own because carl anthony towns can play everywhere and then before that you play with Embiid, and Embiid on one play he's on the block and the next he's standing at the three-point line so maybe it's just a matter of the personnel alignment we don't really get to see how good or bad dario sarge can really be i've always considered him to be decent for what he does mm-hmm. I never really had him projected to do anything really crazy. And, of course, man in the middle, you got DeAndre Ayton, who's going to start, and Aaron Baines, who's going back from up. So that's pretty much the Suns roster in a nutshell. And I think based on that personnel, they definitely will need to play fast. Oh, yeah, 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 easily. They have to. I mean, you got you got the, when you have young talent like this, that's the only way you can play. It's not until you get veteran leadership that shows you slow down. Rick, Ricky Rubio, he probably still needs to um, play fast, you know. So, like I said, yeah, that's the best way to do it for them. I think they definitely will have, like, a, a pretty decent base offense, you know, something where either Ricky Rubio or Devin Booker can cross half court and they can go into, you know, some continuity of some sort that will probably lead to – a screen that gets DeAndre a mismatch and that'll be like one of their first options to try and dump it down. So you can get an easy layup. And then if not, then you go to your Devin Booker, mm-hmm. you know, defaults. And then when Devin Booker gets hot, you just invert the offense and start it with whatever Devin Booker actions you have. And then probably involve DeAndre in it so that you can, you know, maybe get him some dump offs or some easy rolls. He hasn't really shown much perimeter, but it has been, you know, documented that he's capable of taking a shot or two from out there. So, Let's see if he's worked on that and expanding his game or if he's kept it more interior-based. Yeah, but, I mean, he was a rookie last season, too. So, um, you know, some of those things he might not be able to showcase just because of the age and the the time in the league. So, I think that this summer is is going to be a good uh, determining factor to see if he's actually stepped his game up or he's just going to be a dude that, like you said, is going to be playing the block all day in a – in an NBA with playing down low the position at the elbow is really not what teams want anymore. Not as your primary source of offense. Like they definitely don't want that. Um he averaged sixteen and ten last year. He had a he had a he had a pretty good rookie year. Like to be honest with you, his rookie I, I didn't really have much fault in what I saw from DeAndre Ayton. I didn't watch a lot of Suns games. The few that I did watch, DeAndre Ayton he he did play well. Mm-hmm. So I do think he's definitely a credible big man, and I definitely do think that he will be in the league for a long time. But again, like you said, without that expansion to his game, I don't know how much bigger of a problem he can become or if he's just going to wind up toeing the middle, which happens because, like you said, the, the NBA game has evolved to a point where if most of your skills involve doing things where everybody's got to watch you, most coaches don't even want to implement that into their offensive system. So... It's gonna be it's gonna be gonna be curious to see how Monty Williams incorporates and deploys a guy like DeAndre Aiden, who's capable of a lot, but again, it's just a matter of how does it make how do you make all that work with the talent they have around them. Mikhail's a good spot up shooter, so I'm pretty sure they can run actions that'll get him some looks. They won't be running plays for him. They definitely won't be running plays for Ubre, and if they do, it'll be one of those backdoor alley oop plays yeah. because he's, he's very good in the air. He's a good slasher as well. Yeah, and I think his slashing ability is kind of overrated. Left-handed guys, they, they just are harder to defend, especially going to the basket. 
It's just like an inversion of all of your body mechanics to try and cut a guy off the opposite way you've been trained to play defense. Because even in slide drills, nobody teaches you to slide shading a guy on his left. You know, you slide, you slide, you slide, you slide, you slide. So left-handed guys always seem to have the ones with handle, they always seem to be able to get an advantage. So, but I didn't really see anything spectacular in his handle other than the fact that, like, like you said, like he'll catch the ball on the perimeter, rip through, and then he's fast enough to get you on his hip so that he can make a driving attempt of some sort. Um, I did overlook a couple players. Like they drafted Cameron Johnson from North Carolina, and they also drafted Ty Jerome from Virginia, who were the um, national champion. Mm-hmm. Ty Jerome was one of their best shooters. Yep. And he's a point guard, and he's 6'5". So perhaps he'll be a part of, of, of that point guard rotation that they have. You know, when it comes down to a close game and they don't want to be stuck with choosing between Ricky Rubio and a fan to shoot a shot, <laughs> maybe that's when you throw Ty Jerome out there because he's a knockdown shooter. Cameron Johnson was also a knockdown shooter in North Carolina. He's 6'9", but he's very slender. But he shot 41.1% from three-point line, which is the sixth all-time highest three-point shooting percentage in North Carolina basketball history. So they have added players that will complement some of their deficiencies. I do think that they will be taking more threes. I definitely think that Ricky Rubio's ability to penetrate will allow for Devin Booker to flourish more off the ball. Absolutely. I, I think the fact that Ricky Rubio's ability to run an offense will benefit DeAndre Ayton because he will be getting the ball in more ideal places to score instead of having to worry about whether or not Devin Booker is going to cross half court and just chuck one up because ain't nobody to tell him no because Monte Williams will have control of that locker room and he will have the player's respect. So I do gauge that, that, that there's potential for improvement and in, in the record that they produced last year, I mean, come on, the 19 and 63, you win 21 games and that's technically an improvement. But I mean, for them to feel like that roster has the potential to make a jump, I would think that they would need to go from the 19 wins to over 30. Yeah, I, I don't see that being possible for them. I mean, I like, I like Monty Williams and everything, but I think realistically, if they were won 19 games, uh, they would have – I think the, the, to, the max might be 25. I don't see them being – I don't see them being an 11-game, maybe 12-game better team. I see them at best maybe being five games better uh, because, like you said, it, it's one of – unless, unless Dove, Devin Booker is just like, give me the ball, get out the way, I'm, I'm going for mine, you know. He did that last year, and they we averaged 26.6, 86 from the free throw line. He shot 32% from three, mm-hmm. 53% overall field goal per shooting. His, um, and free throws was down a little uh, bit. I mean, if his turnovers come down, because he, he averaged four turnovers a game with only seven assists, that's, that's, that's almost one-to-one or close to one-to-one with your assist-to-turnover ratio, which is horrible for a primary ball handler. So I think that that – will be a big impact on them because they won't be turning over the ball as much because they won't be as predictable with Ricky Rubio out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's tough for me to say that winning five games would be a mark of – it's going to be a, a, a factual improvement. Mm-hmm. I think swapping out the coach and keeping the roster as is, they probably would win five more games. So that just goes to show the talent that they've added and incorporated. Yeah. Guys would really have to step out of what we know them to be for them to leap into winning 30-plus games. Like Ricky Rubio, for them to win 31 games, Ricky Rubio has to shoot hmm, – I have to pull it up. But Ricky Rubio would have to shoot between 33 and 37% from three. He would have to shoot like that so that they have a credible threat from at least four positions on the floor – to knock down an open shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that way, so I, that way the defense isn't able to hone in on Booker and, and Aiton as much. Um, one of those two guys who's playing the small forward, whether it's Kelly Oubre or Mikael Bridges, one of them has to become a third scorer. Yeah, I think Oubre is going to be – I think he's going to get a good season. You're going to get a good season out of him. Oubre averaged 17 a game. Mm-hmm. I see him doing about the same, about the same. 
I don't see him. I mean, anywhere between I think anywhere between fifteen and eighteen points a game for him, which would be uh, great. You know what I mean? Like if he's your third leading scorer, you know. Like I said, I, I think it could work out. I figure. I figure Booker's gonna go to about if he averaged twenty six last year. He's gonna go about to about twenty eight. He might even try to depend. Depending on where his mindset is, he might be trying to push for thirty. You know, you just don't know. Um, and I think um, Aiden Aiden's going to have to get get you about a good. But well, he averaged seventeen, so if he can get you to twenty a game, you know, uh, then he say, "Oh, then you have a big three. Yeah, I mean, you have you, you have a big three. If you have well, Aiden Booker 16, pushing close so, to thirty, yeah. if you put okay, so. Let's high project. If Devin Booker, so if the Suns are to make a dramatic jump from the 19 mm-hmm. wins, Devin Booker has to be pushing almost 30 a game. So pushing almost 30 means 27 and better. No, he's gonna he's gonna have to do 28 and better. Maybe I, honestly, 28 and better. Have to. Okay, fine. I, okay, I'll rock with that. So to be pushing 30, you have to be doing 28 and better. For DeAndre to be pushing 20, he has to be doing 18 and better, mm-hmm. right? And if Ubre stays at what he was at, 17 and 9, now you've got a guy averaging 28, a guy averaging 18 to 20, and a guy averaging 17 flat. That's a big three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And with that, with those numbers, we would say their highest, their highest ceiling would still be about 35, 37 game wins. Yeah, 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 yeah. At that point. So to get to their max potential with the roster that they have, ladies and gentlemen, you will need to have Devin Booker have another career year, DeAndre have a career year, scoring-wise, when I say that, and Kelly Oubre, if he stays at where he's at as, you know, the high-energy, change-of-pace, hard-to-defend player that he is because, you know, a lot of it is speed-based and athleticism, yeah. And at 30-some-odd wins, high 30s, you're pushing for the 11th, Ninth, mm. you're pushing somewhere between 11th to 14th seed in the conference. Mm-hmm. Yikes! Yeah, and that's on the high end for them. So, like I said, yeah, yeah, that's 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 the um with Phoenix. That's that's what you're going to get. Really, like I said, I mean, I I really like Monty Williams as a coach, but I really feel like they are a veteran or some type of scorer. Away, somebody that is a veteran, or you know, some, something. They're they're a piece or two away from being a consistent forty to forty five wins, you know. But they got to just hope that. Um... Okay, here's some other things that we need to address. So last year, the Phoenix Suns averaged 107.5 points per game, but they gave up 116.8, which put them at the 28th ranked worst defense in the league. Their offense averaging 108 points a game was only the 23rd best Mm. in the league. So that means only seven teams scored less per game than the Phoenix Suns did. And the Phoenix Suns had the worst record in the NBA. So with Monty Williams, I think defensively, he gets them closer to the median. I say they go from being the 28th worst defense to maybe the 20th. Offensively, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they both go to the 20. So they go from the 23rd best offense to the 20th best offense. And they go from the 28th ranked defense to the 20th. I think that gets them in the mid-30s. If they're giving up, let's say, 100 – if they're giving up what they're scoring per game, because, look, they were scoring 108. If they get down to giving up 108 points a game, maybe maybe that gets them a few more wins. Yeah, yeah, we just got to um, – one thing, too, is, 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 like you said, it's also looking at the schedule that – you know, the schedule that they have. You know, what, can they get some easier wins? Do they have a, a string of... Uh, There's no easy wins for the Phoenix Suns. I'm, There's no easy wins for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, the only I mean, easy I mean, wins... For the, what, what, they play no, Memphis three times I a mean, year? Hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Well, yeah, oh, I'm looking at their schedule. I'm looking at... Oh, let me look at their regular season schedule. I'm just going to look at a couple of games uh, for them. Yeah, yeah, nah, they're going to... Yeah, they're going to be bad. 
Yeah, they start. I'm looking at this right. They open the season at home versus Sacramento. Yep, 6 p.m. on October 23rd. Now, then yep, 0 and 1. Then they go to Denver. That's a loss. We already discussed what happens when you Mm -hmm. travel to Denver. They're going to be leaving. Yeah, they might not get their first. Which really isn't that far. There is a strong possibility they don't get their first win until sometime in November. Memphis. Yeah. No. Yeah, 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 yeah that's November. So you figure that's that's just starting the season. Well, they're starting the last week yeah, of October, yeah, yeah. Two, 10, four, 23. So, 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 they, so there's gonna have a winless they're gonna have a winless, winless week. Okay, so just so everybody understands we're clear. Game one is Sacramento, game two is at Denver, game three, they go back home from Denver to face the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Then they leave home. No, they stay home to have the visiting Utah Jazz with that newly rebuilt, rebuilt mm-hmm. roster and all those guys ready to remind Ricky Rubio why they're happy he's gone, oh, yeah. including Mike oh, Conley yeah, that's, coming that's to town. Work right there. And Mike Conley is probably going to chop the liver from that boy. And then you have, because Mike Conley has a longstanding beef with every other NBA point guard in the league. I, we'll discuss that one day. The Mike Conley grudge is something that I just found amazing. And then um, go, they go. Then they go to Golden mm-hmm. State. So yeah, so yeah, th- there is a strong chance that they don't win a game until Memphis, and that's at Memphis, so there's no guarantee. But yeah, so you could you could uh could be at Memphis. So we'll see. Like I said, so yeah, they're not starting out the season pretty good. So yeah, they're, like you're. And then after Memphis, they go to Philly. They they okay. I'm not even gonna go say where they go. I'm gonna say who they're playing. After Memphis is Philly, Miami with the new Jimmy Butler Heat, the revamped Brooklyn Nets, the winner winner nothing Lakers. Then the next close competitive game, just strength off the strength of rosters, Atlanta. And the Miami game is that Miami game. I mean, because you always got the Jimmy Butler. They don't have any. You know, we got, we're gonna go. We're gonna talk about these teams later. But yeah, I mean, like I said, so out of the first probably 10 to 15 games, there's possibly only three games that they have a chance of winning. Everything else, they'll probably get – they'll probably lose in a landslide. So, yeah, uh, sorry, Monty Williams. Not, it's not a good way to come back to the uh, to the co- coaches' sidelines. <laughs> that was cold-blooded. But it's all facts, man. So, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. I'm not projecting – or saying that it can't happen, hey, maybe Phoenix turns around and has a miracle season. I don't see anything that's going to give them a 61-21 and 21 type of season. I don't even see anything that's going to give them a 50-win season. But based on these first 15 games and what I know about the teams that they're scheduled to play, it looks like some tough sledding. I mean, you could be looking at 3-12. and 12. You could be looking at 3-12 and 12 easily. You could be looking at 1-14. and 14. Mm-hmm. You could be looking at 2-13. and 13. Mm-hmm. You could be looking at 0-15 if, God forbid, Atlanta figures it out. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and, and what if Memphis decides, you know what? It's Veterans Day. We're going to play all those veterans we were hiding on the roster that we weren't able to trade. <laughs> so you got to go up against Iguodala and all those other guys that they got on that team. Like, Memphis low-key has talented people. It's just they're not going to play because they're tanking or they're in a rebuilding situation. They're just trying to move veteran players, and they're going to wait for the deadline and just keep these guys in shape until they can actually get some more credible assets off a team that's willing to give up a draft pick that's going to later become, you know, LeBron James Jr. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, um, Phoenix, you guys be ready to put on your hard hats if you're a Phoenix Suns fan, you know? Yeah, yeah. Your highlights are going to come from that gorilla. That gorilla is going to be very entertaining for y'all. <laughs> so be on, the be on the lookout for the Phoenix Suns mascot to be doing his numbers, you know, the trampoline. During timeouts is going to be highlights of those games. Absolutely. So, so let me ask you this: What is, what is a who, or what is your best memory of the Phoenix Suns since we since they haven't been good anytime soon? Do you have any memories of the Suns being good, or at least a moment, or even a player that kind of stands out for you as the Phoenix Sun? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm more of the historian type. So, there's two moments in Phoenix Suns history. Well, three that stand out to me. One is forever going to be Tom Chambers christening Mark oh. Jackson. In... <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> he did that in a Phoenix Suns uniform, yeah, and it's rare. 
it's it's rare that, and I hate to get racial, but it's rare that a black man has to look up to a white man on the basketball court. But my God, Mark Jackson had to look up in the sky and see a six foot ten white boy with his knees in your forehead, flushing it. So that's that's Phoenix Suns memory number one. Phoenix Suns memory number two is Charles Barkley essentially dragging them to the finals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That whole entire season, he was just something to watch. I mean, it was amazing yeah, yeah, to, to behold. Because he he had like that, he had like that whole like what the hell is he doing thing going on in Philly, where he was kind of playing his way out of the city, so nobody knew exactly what Phoenix was getting, and then he turned up. Yeah. And 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 he really set the table for Phoenix to start understanding and expecting winning again. And then my final memory is uh, Steve Nash getting knocked into the sidelines and the brawl that broke out that caused the Spurs to go on to uh, win a championship. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah, that 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 was the divergence of the – that was the end of seven seconds or less because they never really rebounded. They wind up, I think, like trading for Shaq or something mm-hmm. crazy like that the next year. And, yeah, I don't know if Steve Kerr got hired to sabotage them or to make them better, but it seems more like he got hired to sabotage them because trading for Shaq just never made any sense with Mike D'Antoni as your coach. But it happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, let me add one thing because I, for, I for, definitely forgot about the Steve Nash go round. Um, I remember one of my moments that I remember was um, the Kevin Johnson dunking on Elijah one in the playoffs from the baseline. I figured when I started with Tom Chambers, I couldn't go with two dunks, so I was hoping you brought that up. Yeah, yes. that was that was one of the dunks that I was like, wow. Kev, now let's Kevin get clear. Johnson cost Kevin a Johnson. Lot of people. Kevin Johnson not only dunked on Akeem Olajuwon, he absolutely smoked whoever was trying to guard him to get to Olajuwon. Then, when he took off, was Kenny Smith. he turned sideways. Yeah, he went by I, Kenny Smith. Okay, New York in the house. So, he went by Kenny Smith and then proceeded to, sometimes I dream <laughs> that he is me. He did the Be Like Mike dunk. The closest I've seen to that dunk as far as like, oh my God, he just yamakut him, is when Baron Davis did it to the Russian. Mm-hmm. He did it to Karolinko, yep. Like those two dunks had that same, mm. yes, sir. Mm. Yeah, that was crazy. You know, there there are dunks that like people just oh oh that was a nice dunk get back on D and there are dunks where it's like damn we can't beat them. <laughs> and I think I think that dunk and Baron Davis's dunk were those those type of moments like. Yeah, there's nothing we could do, man. There's nothing we could do. Kevin Johnson out here giving our big man defensive player of the year posters. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just figure it out on the next game. Exactly. Yeah. Was that during the playoffs? That was the 94 playoffs. And the Rockets still wind up going to the finals. Yeah. But, you know, hey, look, he, he had his moment. He said, look, man, I'm, I'm trying to get – I'm going to let y'all remember me somehow. Sidebar. Um, remember I pointed you out to an article where it listed teams that are forgotten NBA champions? Mm-hmm. Did you realize that, like, four teams that they put on that list are teams that we spoke about? Yeah. Like, four well, different teams. The Rockets four, were on there twice. Yeah. Yeah, I think, the, I think both Rockets teams. We'd only, I'd only pick one. Well, yeah. No, you would pick one and I'd pick yeah, one. So That's what it was. Yeah. yeah, so both Rockets mm-hmm. teams, yeah. Anyway, back to Phoenix. So, um... Do you have a low memory of the Phoenix Suns? <laughs> this season's now. <laughs> <laughs> that was too easy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just walk right into that. I mean, other than that, I mean, yeah, I mean, heck, that that was, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, heck, honestly, that that when you uh, when Robert Ory threw Steve Nash into the um to the sidelines is when that. that them doing that, and then the next game, all the all the players that stepped their foot off the bench. Wait, it was Robert Horry who did this. Robert Horry has been carrying a long time grudge against the Phoenix Suns because that's after the towel incident when he was a Phoenix Sun. Mm-hmm. Did you ever go back and look that up when Robert Horry threw the towel in uh in Danny Ainge's face? No. Oh, all I was saying. Another moment is what caused the entire uh, once you leave the bench moment. You, can't, you get suspended is when Greg Anthony ran played with the Knicks against the um, Phoenix Suns. And Greg Anthony ran off his street clothes to go try to fight. I think it was I think it was um Kevin Johnson. Matter of fact, 
Um, so, yeah, that's what made the NBA say, nah, anybody that leaves the bench and steps their foot on the court has suspended the game. It's because it's the Greg Anthony rule. Yeah. And it's I find it funny that they 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 decide to um do that when your boy Derek Harper <laughs> Yeah Derek Harper was the greatest fighter in Knicks history, bro. Are you for your man JoJo English? What? He didn't fight JoJo English, he destroyed <laughs> JoJo English. Yo, if they was in jail, like JoJo English was giving up his snacks for the rest of his day oh, yeah, yeah. behind that fight. Like, he got no no cupcakes, no fruit cup, no jello, nothing. It was all going to the, to, to the big house. So he, he, oh, oh, poor JoJo English. I don't think he's been seen since. Nah, nah, nah. He, he's definitely back of a milk carton. Yeah, I'm over here flashback and looking at they actually had the nerve to show game highlights of everything that happened before Robert Horry hip checked Steve Nash. That was leading up to that moment for me to see. Um my 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 um Phoenix Suns low moment was watching the um eh, Robert Horry didn't really check him that hard. Steve anyway. My my low moment was watching the seven seconds or less Suns slowly disassemble. And it happened like over like a four or five year period. First, Joe Johnson leaves, and then they swapped out all those random plays that they did. They what would they bring in? Hugh Richardson first to replace him, mm-hmm. then Roger Bell, then ah, they just had like a revolving door of random small forward slash two guards that they just figured could fit the spot and do certain aspects of what Joe Johnson did, but not all of them in one person. So, seeing a team that had a style that I thought would have been dope to get to the finals. Because they, I mean, the, the seven seconds of Nash, seven seconds or less Suns, they were probably the, the closest thing to Showtime we had during that era of basketball. High intensity, quick baskets, can't, can't turn your head away. And they weren't just scoring boring baskets, you know? You was getting shot in the face, or Amari Stoudemire was dunking on you, yeah. or Steve Nash was dribbling between seven players, you know, some of them his own teammates, and hitting a reverse layup. You know, Steve Nash had that, oh, I'll take you off a pick and dribble all the way into the paint, do nothing, dribble out of the paint, wait for y'all to panic, and then dish it to a big man and you would catch a dunk on your head. So there was a lot of entertainment value in what that seven seconds or less Suns team brought. And watching it just slowly deteriorate without them ever actually reaching their full potential, like that, that to me was the low moment. Because I would have much rather enjoyed that team getting to the finals and rooting for them than, you know, watching Barkley lose to Jordan, which was kind of a preconceived notion. I don't think anybody really expected Phoenix to win that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So, yeah, so that was, I mean, that's, that kind of sums it up, you know, for the... For- yeah, that pretty much sums it up. We, we, we've got the Suns coming in with a 19-63 and 63 record prior year. Do you, do you, do you want to bind yourself to something? You want to give me a win range for what you see, what you what you project them? I mean, they might be, they might be, they might be the same. Uh, just just from looking at, like I said, the first fifteen games, that was, shoof, man. I I would go. I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with fifteen wins. I actually think they're gonna lose four more games. So what's that? Um, fifteen yeah. and sixty-seven. Yeah. That's about right for them. Hmm. So your boy C. Grant has locked in the Phoenix Suns for, is that their high? I know the high would be 21. So you got them at 15 to 21 wins. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have the Phoenix Suns in at 21 to 28 wins. Wow. 28 wins. That means they're going to have to go on a consecutive win streak. And I don't see it. But all right, you know, go ahead. That's what you think. Um, no, it'd be, you know, it'd be crazy if both of us are wrong and they lose either a lot more games. Or, I mean, it, if they go nine and 73, then we're canceling the podcast. Yeah, no, nah, don't say that. I'll say that. <laughs> I'm, just, say that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out. I'm just saying that's they, the level of disgust I would feel. They might, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they might only win four games. So, nah, don't say that. Come on, Monty. 
come on, Monty. Yeah, come no, on. I hope, I hope Monty, Monty, we're, we're we're giving we're giving you the OG credit. And he can't go out there and hit the jump shots for them, though. Agreed. But I'm hoping that he's a leader of men like Mark Jackson was, and he can at least make them respectable basketball players. And a respectable basketball player is gonna at least get you between 21 and 27 wins. All right. So that that that's 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 our synopsis. That's that's our that's the Phoenix Suns in a snapshot. They do have a lot of intriguing talent on their roster. There are players that we do enjoy watching play, and we are looking forward to seeing them develop over the course of the year. But to just be frankly honest, there's a reason why we're doing them first, and that's because they were the worst team in the league last year. Mm-hmm. So that being said, we're going to bring episode 19 to a close. As always, we appreciate any and all feedback we get on the content that we're putting out there. Please feel free to find us on many of the different places that we've now logged ourselves. We're on Instagram, as Views from the Clutch. We're on Twitter, as Views from the Clutch. We're on Facebook with the page, as Views from the Clutch. As always, we're on Anchor, available as Views from the Clutch. We're on Apple and Spotify. And who else? We're on Google, Google Apple, uh, Breaker, Radio, Radio, Public, uh, Overcast, and I think there's uh, I think we're on seven to eight total different podcast platforms. So, so open up your podcast app, search for Views from the Clutch, not one word, spell it out, Views space from space the clutch. We should come up. If you have a hard time finding us, then definitely hit our email address at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com with any questions, feedback, or issues that you may have had while listening to our podcast or just topics that you may want to have us discuss on the next one. But we hope you enjoy team one of 30 of our NBA season preview. We're going to surprise you with who we follow up with next. But if you look at how the records played out for last year's NBA standings, then you'll have a hint of who it might be. So on that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace.